0: SMEs, business owners and founders, even the CEOs of big business. It only costs 450 rand per month, and will be coming in, but I mean coming in hot. So, subscribe now to Ideas That Matter Plus, now available on Spotify or Apple Podcast Store. Sayonara. It's time to take your seat at the table. Find out how with Vositembeguayo as we discuss Ideas That Matter, a catalyst for bold action. Hey family and welcome to episode 3 of the VT podcast. I think I'm warming up to this and I'm so excited to share with you what are my thoughts for this week. So, this week I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the state of affairs, particularly those of you who join me and listen from South Africa. Where are we? Where do we find ourselves? And what does our country look like going forward? But today, if I'm honest, is going to be a difficult conversation because I want to talk a bit about the missed economic opportunity of the past 26 years. I fancy myself a student of economics, in particular, the history of economics. I love learning about where things come from and why they are the way they are. I love learning about market structures and why markets work the way they work. I love learning about the legacy of businesses and the history of organizations that we today just take for granted and assume were always there. I like knowing the start, the beginning, where they come from, when, why, who, and what. That's the kind of stuff that turns me on. But in doing this kind of historical work, I've got to tell you that I came upon what's been a very interesting revelation. And here I wanted to share it with you. South Africa has a history of creating economic giants every single 50 years. It's cyclical. So, 150 years ago, organizations like CNA, Stutterford's, F&B, and Standard Bank were founded just over 150 years ago. Goldfields founded around that time too. And so, today when you look at the stock exchange and you see these massive companies on the stock exchange, those companies are literally that many years old. 50 years ago? Well, 50 years ago, we're talking about ShopRite, Pick and Pay, Ceramics Warehouse, Tile, and several companies of that ilk. And so what we learn from the economic history of our country is that every single 50 years, giants are birthed. And those giants carry on for about 50 to 100 years and create massive industrialization huge economic opportunity, and build the next wave of businesses. But why is this important? Well, it's important because the state has to make available the capital and resources for this to be done. Each of the companies, aforementioned, operated in a time and an environment where the state enabled for them to succeed. I'm going to argue here today that over the past 26 years, we didn't enable, at mass scale, New economic potential and opportunity. So, what did we do? Between the year 2000 and 2014, the records tell us that 176 billion Rand was spent in black economic empowerment share transactions. Just to be clear, 14 years, 176 billion Rand in people buying into already existing companies. Well, why is that important? So, eventually, when COVID hits, And over the quarter where we had the most extreme part of the lockdown, there were 2.2 additional million more people who joined the queue of unemployment. And I recognize, by the way, that I was just tautologist. It's 2.2 million more people that joined the queue of the unemployed. Let me put it to you this way. If unemployed people in South Africa were to start a political party and all of those unemployed people voted for that party, the unemployed people of South Africa would be the governing party. There are more people unemployed in our country than there are people that vote. That should be how shocked you should be at recognizing where we are. It's a tough time. It's a tough environment and it's not going to rejig itself. So, 150 years ago, companies are built that we today take for granted. First National Bank, Standard Bank, CNA, Stutterford's, Goldfields. We all know them today. Large companies that employ hundreds of thousands of people. 100 years ago, companies are birthed that today are still around. False Goss Bank, which later became APSA, Santam, Sunlam. Those were all birthed around 100 years ago. 50 years ago, other economic giants. Pick and Pay, ShopRite. Those were all birthed 50 years ago. Do you know why we're in the economic trouble that we're in? because over the past 25 years, what we were supposed to be building were the next batch of companies, but we didn't do so. What we did is we took money from the secondary exchange in the markets, we used pension funds capital and some lending from the bank, we took a couple of people and made them buy shares into already existing companies, and we had a transfer of wealth from a few minority to a few minority, and we didn't create mass industrial scale and new economic opportunity. As a result, an economy that grows at less than 1%, for young black women between the ages of 18 and 35, in the northern provinces, unemployment over 50%. And if you're young, growing up in South Africa today, I reckon you have a higher probability of, I don't know, getting into a fistfight than you do of getting a job. And those are the scary stats. So the question for those of you listening here today is who amongst us is going to build the next economic giants over the next 50 years? because that's the cycle of our country. The question you gotta ask yourself is this, what are the things we should be doing as a country to really enable an environment where those economic giants can be built? First, you need an availability of risk-based capital. And we don't have it, whether we want to pretend we do or we don't. I'll prove it to you. Our government made available a loan guarantee scheme through treasury of 200 billion rand to support businesses through the most extreme economic time of most of our lived experiences on this little rock called earth. And over that COVID period, when the banks were supposed to advance 200 billion, they advanced 16 billion, 8% of what was made available. I mean, could you imagine how outraged we would be if a municipality spent 8% of its budget, but people were going hungry? And sometimes that does happen. Could you imagine how outraged we would be if ESCOM was spending 8% of its money but we were getting load shedding? Imagine how outraged you'd be if the Rhodes Agency was spending 8% of its money but there were potholes everywhere. So why are we willing to accept an 8% spend from the banks when customers or companies are closing down every single day? The truth is, it's probably because the banks are just too powerful and we're not holding them to account. That's just the truth of the matter. So, we need a system of mass based available share based capital. Now, I remember saying this on a recent interview that I did. I said, Our president had many other alternatives he could have used to disperse that 200 billion. Our president could have gone to the alternative asset classes, go to the VC firms and the private equity companies, and give them each 200 million and say, I'm going to put 200 million into each of your balance sheets for you to advance into the real economy. They're asset managers already. That's what they do, they work in the real economy but we used an old archaic system of monetary distribution through the credit capital markets called the banks. And we're wondering why we used an old system in a new context and we got old results. So the first thing is we need to rethink the institutions of power and how those institutions of power are working to deliver a country that works for all of us. Second, if we want to build the next generation of economic giants over the next 50 years, we need an economic system that incentivizes competence, not connection. You know, in South Africa, if you really want to make money, you've got to be connected. You don't have to be competent. How many young people grow up wishing to know who the town councillor is, or they want to meet the ward councillor, or the mayor, or the city manager? Why? Because they recognize that the connection gives them the ability to access capital. I would even argue that the greatest existential risk today for the governing party is that people join it just so they can get access to the connections they don't join for political philosophy. It's a big statement, but that's what I think. So, if we want to build the next generation of economic giants that are going to create tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of jobs, what we need to do is give those who are the most competent amongst us the best access to the most rewarding opportunities. Competence over connection. And third we need to be able to back ourselves. So there is this piece of regulation making the rounds, and there's a lot of debate around whether or not we need to restructure it. Most people don't know about it. I know because I work in private equity and venture capital. It's called Regulation 28. What Regulation 28 regulates is how much capital flows from the pension fund industry into the alternative asset classes. First, as we speak, the alternative asset classes in South Africa is not only private equity companies and venture capital companies, but also hedge funds. Now, I recognize that if you're not technical in this game, it sounds like what I'm saying is gibberish and jargon. So let me break it down to you. Typically, venture capital companies do early-stage high-risk investing. Private equity companies buy into mature companies with decent cash flows that are going through a growth curve. But notice, both of them buy into actual companies in the real economy. They're not buying shares of the JSC. I've often said to people, If you want to support Elon Musk, you don't buy Tesla shares, you buy a Tesla. So we live in a country today where your pension fund money is being invested into the shares of a company on the listed exchange, the JSE. There's several others, of course, there's A2X and Zarex and several other exchanges. So our money from the real economy is flowing into the financial economy and we're wondering why we're not creating jobs and businesses in the real economy. What we should be doing is putting that money back into the real economy. And so in part, the changes that that I think need to happen with Regulation 28 is how do we get more money from pension funds, which by the way is money that pensioners are saving, or rather it's money that workers are saving for a rainy day or for when the event of retirement or pension occurs. They're saving it for that event, but they're working every single day. It's money taken from an earned wage and put into the financial markets. How do we take a portion of that money and put it into the real economy so that workers create more work for workers? They create more businesses that create more jobs. How do we do that? So there's a lot of work that's got to happen around how do we rethink and restructure our Regulation 28. And then fourth, and this is the final thing, it's going to sound almost ephemeral, but it's true. Do you know what we need? We need new ideas, new thinking, new leaders you realize we have the same people at the helm who were at the helm over the past 20 years. And so we're recycling the same thinking and we're wondering why we're not getting new results. It's because we need new ideas and fresh perspectives. And we need people who are willing to try new things. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, but can somebody please explain to me why is our reserve bank so married to its narrow mandate? Surely a reserve bank operating in a country that has over 30% unemployment, 30% unemployment with 5% of the population paying tax and over 50% of young people of color unemployed recognizes that the fundamentals of its monetary policy in any event are in an existential crisis because the country is about to implode. So what we need then is not only a reserve bank governor that's more open to a different way of doing things, but a reserve banking system that's more open to new ideas about how the reserve bank should work. Now, I'm not saying I have the answers. I am saying we need to start asking ourselves these questions. Because if we don't get the questions right, then the answers don't matter anyway. Just as a parting shot, in my very first year at Vitz University, I had this professor who taught me economics. Dr. Karungo was his name. And I'll never forget Dr. Karungo once said in his well. It's the thought I'd leave you with for the week. Karungu once said to us, he said, in economics, the questions stay the same, but the answers are constantly changing. So he said, if you want to be a good economic student, don't memorize the answers. Learn the questions. And I think we're living in such a time where you and I have to start learning the questions we should be asking. How do we build a country in a South Africa that's more equal, with a race, pay, gender parity that's not quite as wide as it is now? How do we build a country that's safe? How do we make our identity politicians less flavor of the day? How do we do that stuff? Alright, that's the podcast for the week. We hope that you've drawn valuable lessons from this week's podcast. To partner with us, visit mygrowthfund.co.za or email info at mygrowthfund.co.za.